Hi, welcome to the best podcast on Montserrat's history. Well, it's the only podcast on Montserrat's history, but we'll still take it. Uh, by this point, you should know our podcast is called Tales from an Emerald Rock. And today we're going to be studying a family that was there from almost the beginning and was one of the last families to leave Montserrat. Yes, you've guessed it. We're talking about the Galway family. The reason I picked this family is due to a religious plurality they display, which changes from generation to generation and really encapsulates how a flexible religion has to be in the Caribbean to survive being Irish. Just to warn you, this might be a slightly shorter podcast than usual, as there isn't as much content on this family. Uh, most of it had been destroyed during all the natural disasters that happened upon this island. So this podcast will mainly reference colonial records from the British history online. So, let's start with David Galway. He was a Montserratian resident in the 1660s. He was born in County Cork and was from an, an Catholic Irish gentry lineage. This essentially means he's from an old English background, which means Catholic in religion, but likely royalist in politics. Although this isn't always true, it is pretty, pretty consistent with most pe- of the people I've studied. Despite being of Catholic lineage, he quickly realised the easiest way to get power within Montserrat is by being Protestant. This is evident as in Governor Stapleton's report to the Lords of Trade and Plantations, according to British History Online section, June 1678. Galway is listed within the report of being on the Council of Montserrat, and even more interestingly, a major. A major is a title given to a leader within the militia. The interesting thing about this is that both being a councilman and a major required doing an oath allegiance to the Anglican government. This would have gone completely against his Catholic religion, but he clearly saw it as a way to propel himself to new career heights, and he took it. This clearly wasn't just successful politically, but also economically, as according to the 1677 Montserrat census, he is listed as owning over 70 slaves, and there are also a few hundred Irish indentured servants marked and li- living uh, in close quarters around him. Although it cannot be confirmed that they worked for him, it would be reminiscent of me not to mention that some of these 100 of indentured servants could have potentially laboured for him too. Um, overall, this sort of just shows that he was a very wealthy planter and made a lot of money just from changing his religion to Protestancy and the opportunities it gave him. Similarly, he didn't waver with his decisions when time got tough. tough. Instead, he even knuckled down on it. Uh, for example, in 1668, he condemned the Irish who collaborated with the French during their occupation on the island. This is evident as according to British History Online, section January 1668, he was one of the 27 names in the petition to William Lord Willoughby, which condemned these Catholic rebels. This shows he was not only willing to turn back on his faith, but also betray other Catholics to get what he wanted. This evidently worked for him and was a great strategy as his fa- for his family estate, as by 1729, his estate was one of the largest on the island, totaling over 1,400 acres. Although all this seems to indicate that his Protestant zeal was ironclad and that he had completely forsaken Catholicism, a bit of doubt grows in the reader's mind when you monitor the wills of each generation of Galways, a key example was hired by Akerson, um, which is that of a grandson of David, Nicholas Galway, who despite officially being Protestant in all regards, in his will, he surprisingly uh, was one of the co-donors of a chalice that is still used 
was, was still used up until the 20th century in the Catholic parish church of Castletown Kilpatrick. This shows that even if they swear the oath of agency, you don't know if they are just doing it for personal gain, and they could still be practicing Catholicism in private. This is only supported as there are rumours amongst locals that during the French occupation, the first Catholic church began being built on the Galway estates. Although this cannot be confirmed as the estate was destroyed in the recent eruption of Montserrat, it would be reminiscent for me not to mention it as we are talking about the potential religious plurality of the Galway family. The religious plurality that is sort of shown by the Galway family is perfectly summarised by the quote from Brian McGinn, an expert in Montserrat history, that the religious status of the early settlers was in fact flexible and equivocal. Rather than professing either a Catholic or a Protestant faith, many Irish planters adhered to both, either at separate times or in some cases simultaneously. This quote just shows that religious popularity was rife in the Caribbean, especially if you're Catholic, as it was so much more beneficial economically and politically to be Protestant than any other denominations. And on that quote, I think I'm going to say goodbye. Thanks for listening, and just a final reminder before I go, although this is a slightly shorter episode, this doesn't make it less important, as it highlights an extremely important theme of the Montserrat society. And without knowing this theme, it would be impossible to understand Montserrat in its entirety.